Welcome to Slaying the Sale, a podcast full of practical real-life sales lessons that you wish you learned in business school. Your host, Kyle, is a two-time best-selling author, creator of the Slaymaker Method, and in each episode, he and his guests will be answering the tough questions around sales, lead generation, and all things business to help you transform your sales mindset and move you closer to achieving your financial goals. Now, let the class begin. Here's your host, Kyle Slaymaker. All right, welcome back to another episode of Slaying the Sale. I am your host, Kyle Slaymaker. You know me by now, so I'm going to spare you the details of how fucking awesome I think I am and all that other good, happy bullshit. But we have an incredible guest today. Not only is he a friend, we almost trained MMA together. Uh, We kind of saw each other in passing, basically. I was on the way out as he was on the way in after I broke my leg and called it a career. Uh, if you can even call it that. But anyway, we have Ross Stockdale, Rosslemania, the one, the only, the man, the myth, the legend. He's got his Dragon Ball Z pop behind him. He's got Alex Hormozzi's $100 million offer behind him. I'm impressed already. Ross, introduce yourself, brother. Hey, Kyle. I'm, I can't wait to slay all day. This is what you call spur of the moment, spontaneous, I just reacted to a Facebook post that the timestamp was just now, and uh, five minutes later, we're recording a podcast. That is what I call responsiveness and pure professionalism, so love it. Thanks for having me on. Um, Yeah, as Kyle said, I had a stint in MMA. It only started at about seven years old, doing karate, tongue sudo, started uh, basically doing tournaments and kicking kids in the head with with very little contact and, you know, getting these trophies, having a, having a good time, kind of got hooked at that age. Um, since then, you know, it wasn't, it's an interesting dynamic because the karate, tongue sudo, like contact sparring, not a school like sponsored thing. And I kind of wanted to get with my classmates and we got into wrestling at 10 years old. A buddy of mine went out to uh, Ohio tournament of champions in Fargo and got all American in the newspaper. And I'm like, how do you do that? I want in. So rest is history. Wrestled from 10 years old to 23 in school. So from elementary through college, can't say I was the world's best wrestler, but I sure had some good, some good moments, probably won two out of three matches. So not, not too bad. Um, After college, I I gained about, I don't know, 50 pounds in three months (laughs) because I just wasn't cutting weight, wasn't disciplined, drinking with my buddies, there was no coach holding me accountable, telling me, "Hey, do this, do that. Don't be a piece of shit." If I may swear, and, you can, uh, you can. Wonderful, it's gonna slip. So I really just reached out to some of my old college friends that I saw on social media were doing this thing called Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, and I was a John Jones, George St. Pierre, um, uh, Leota Machida. I was a fan of UFC back in that era, Chuck Liddell, and mm. um, I'm like, "Hey, you guys, like." It was actually Ken Nakagawa and Brock Stoltz. So they were at Gracie 717. So I'm sure you know them, Kyle. Oh, and yes. they, they twisted my arm not very hard at all. I actually trained at Lancaster BJJ for a bit just because I lived near there. And I had a friend that started there. And that was cool. But, you know, I wanted to get into cage fighting. That was, that was the mission. So the way that story went for me to get to Gracie was I competed against a guy, Byung, who was a white belt and I was a white belt. I just started out. I knew four months in 
And I beat him 28 to zero. And Damian Popolo goes, hey, so when are you going to join my gym and learn how to fight? Like, enough of this shit. And uh, I did the next week. So only had two cage fights, but probably like 100 to 150 rounds of sparring. Um, in which case I got the living shit kicked out of me by people <laughs> like Daryl, the Saint Horcher and Dustin Stoltzfus and Jeremiah Wells and all those guys were UFC veterans. And then Zach Kelly was like the old, the guy that should have gone to the UFC, but we can get to that point is he threw out, he threw a punch, dislocated his arm in the middle of a fight. He was an undefeated pro or he maybe have, I think he had, was he five and O or six and O? He was making an impressive sure. run. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And Zach was incredibly talented. When he when he was like, I'm out, I'm done, I kind of said fuck it too. And a lot of the other guys, like he was the fearless leader, Captain America of Gracie 717 for the MMA team. My first cage fight, there was I think 10 bouts and 10 people from Gracie 717 in the locker room on one side. It was like a dual meet in wrestling. It was so fucking cool. <laughs> so yeah, that's how it. me and Kyle kind of got introduced. That's my brief history of MMA. Yeah, I, I love it. I love it. So, Ross, tell my my faithful listeners, my faithful followers, what you're doing now. Because you're definitely not a, you know, whatever cliche fight uh, saying you want to say. I was going with something like really cool and dynamic, but it just like left me as soon as I thought about <laughs> it. So we'll just skip that and be like, uh, you don't beat the shit out of people anymore. What do you do? Well, I still try to beat the shit out of people just in negotiate. I'm just kidding, not negotiate. So try to be very fair. But what I do now is I am a managing partner of Perpetual Equity Group. We're a conscious capitalist, uh, ethical private equity group out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, it's a startup three years ago. I guess it's almost past the startup stage now. And uh, basically what happened was I tried my whole WrestleMania career, realized that once you lose as an amateur and shit gets really hard, you don't make money. I just kind of was having a lot more fun as a digital marketer and making a lot more money. So I, I kind of committed to the marketing sales management route as opposed to the cage fighting. I kind of understand like, like you had with your leg break that, Hey, there's some tough breaks in the biz. So I committed to that, um, ended up running a digital marketing agency for somebody else. Got to the point where I was like, I can't run someone else's business, watch all this money come in that I'm generating. I got to do it for myself somehow or another. Um, so I, I reconnected with an old friend from college and we started Perpetual Equity Group based on the principles of preserving, enriching, and growing uh, small businesses. And that means the people that have their money in, in it, that means the employees, that means their customers. It means everyone, if we're not doing a job that makes their lives actually better, we're not taking that as a client. We're not working with them. So what that looked like originally, which was easier, was real estate. Uh, and we were going to appreciate underappreciated properties and for like for market prices, be really competitive with lower prices for really nice houses that people can be proud of. Because um, a lot of people were either trying to make these high end, like very bougie studio apartments or slumlords is what we found for a lot of real estate. And we're like, no, you you go in the middle and you make something very value driven where people can be proud of that. Maybe they can't afford the $2,000 a month rent and they're going to be loyal to you. And that was our original philosophy. COVID hit, wipe that whole strategy away. We had to go back to square zero. I had $7 in my bank account as a, as a personal guy. It was, it was tough growing a business, not having, not having shit. Uh, when you had 218 unit apartment building under agreement, 
And then Governor Wolf says, no more. Uh, it's not necessary in Pennsylvania. The only state out of all 50, might I add. So we kind of, you know, the nice thing about cage fighting is it, it learn, you, you learn how to uh, get your feet back under you when you get rocked and not get KO'd. So we kind of hung in the fight. And a month later, we had our first private equity um, pros- prospect, which was called Intrepid International. And since then, I want to say we've acquired six others. We're at like a seven business portfolio, hoping to get it to 10 in the next like 90 days. And it's not the amount of businesses. We want to actually bring other businesses that can help each other. So that's, that's sort of the, the brief summary of how we got into it. Perfect. I love it. I love it. It's, it's interesting how, you know, COVID really, I, I, I've said it before, like the way you look, depending on how you look at it, COVID was kind of like a blessing in disguise, right? Like nobody really expected COVID to one, I think last as long as it did slash is, if you still want to say it is. Um, but really so much was gained from COVID in the professional world and the business world. Yeah. There were a lot of businesses that didn't make it. And that sucks. I wish every business made it through COVID, right? Nobody deserves to lose a business uh, unless you're a piece of shit, in which case lose your business. But um, when you look at it, you know, and I think I said it on, on your podcast, and I've said this many, many times, COVID has pushed business ahead by like 10 years, right? So we are now where we would have been. I got my Corgi upstairs. You can probably hear barking in the microphone. Um, you, we are now where we would have been like 10 years from now, had it not been for COVID, right? It would have taken us 10 years to get to this point. And it's, it's been crazy. The the advances and everything, but like, like you said, you, you had this great opportunity, this great prospect, and then you just had to straight up fucking pivot because of COVID. Right. And, and honestly, the, the next prospect outside of the one we had to let go, it was way better. Like we, we got a better deal when we thought that the sky was falling, the world was going to end. So it, it just kind of one of those things where if you stick to your core values and you, you maintain faith in your team and in yourself and in basically in the world, which is really a, a hard skill set to learn. It's, it's hard to teach heart and toughness. But if you do that, you will get rewarded eventually. You can't, it can't always be raining is one of the quotes I like to say. It can't always be raining. So, I mean, ab- about COVID, it's almost like what happened with the UFC when USADA came in and said, hey, we're actually in a test for juicing. So the guys like Vitor Belfort that had traps on his traps all of a sudden look like deflated balloons and that were 500 fighters at best. No offense to Vitor. He had a great career. He's he's an animal monster. But holy shit, did it look different for him after USADA? It's kind of what happened to businesses where if you weren't actually really good and you were just kind of getting by based on the high tide of the American economy being, being strong at the time or whatever, you basically got fucked up. Like, COVID brought the hammer down on you. You couldn't get away with as much. It's this is why I knew we'd have a shitload of fun on this episode, right? Because we're both like the old school UFC fans. Now, now let, let me rephrase that, right? You're like, oh, I came up in the John Jones era, and I'm like, okay, like I I came up in like Pat Militech. I came up in you know Tank Abbott those oh, days, yeah. right? Right when Don Fry. I'll never forget. Oh man. Oh, we'll get, we're gonna. This is gonna be. This gonna have to be like a multiple part episode, bud. Um. <laughs> It's it's funny because I'll never forget. Like I was watching the first UFC and my like I rented it from Blockbuster because they put it out on VHS like a fucking week or two after it came out, and my mom had no clue what it was, no clue, no no parent had any clue what UFC MMA was back then. My my mom knew like I loved pro wrestling and I was in karate and all this other stuff. I was just like 
fucking 20 pound kid who could just get his ass kicked with a talent uh and and she was like yeah you can rent it from blockbuster and she's sitting there like trying to read a book and she just sees uh that that one's the the, the sumo wrestler that got they sent he got his teeth sent flying oh i know exactly out. what you're talking about i don't know i can picture it was the it was names. the dutch karate guy against the the yep. sumo wrestler and my mom looked up just to see the karate guy just shin him in the face and his teeth went flying and my mom's like what god's name is this and it's like it's awesome that's what it is it's, it's amazing it is. right there's there's no better proving ground of toughness and like you said you can't teach toughness you you can't you can't teach that heart and in the early days of the ufc and beyond that's all you saw you saw guys like you said vitor who honestly even without the roids would be incredible you saw mark coleman who without the roids was incredible you saw mark kerr who i'm pretty sure he's still on the roids uh uh you know mark kerr and these people you want to talk about business grit right and it's a lesson that you don't really see in the ufc and, and mma right because they were showing us true grit and intensity and determination without realizing they were doing it they just thought they were tough badasses in the cage uh, dude, and they dude, were it's so true i look at all those ufc guys and i'm like you are the 101 lesson of personal branding like yeah what like you're they're all marketing machines in their own way you know what i mean even even old school wwf right before it was wwe back in the good old days when someone would say that they were from parts unknown like what the hell does that even mean <laughs> You know, from, yeah. from Lancaster. Yeah, from Lancaster. You wouldn't you wouldn't know that. Parts yeah. unknown from the mean streets of Leola. Yeah, exactly. It but yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Like like you think of but you can you can see a fine line of when the, the fighters realized that they were the brand. Right? They you started to see the sponsorships come in. You started to see like I, I would say probably the first person I remember really being a brand aside from Hoist. um i would probably say tito oh yeah I, dude i think i think tito yeah. was probably the first one to really come out and be that that loudmouth personality and then you know and then maybe rampage yeah um, yes chuck liddell then, with tito yeah i would i would put chuck with tito um and then you know, you saw the shift again, and now you have guys like, you know, you had Anderson, you had Anderson Silva, right. you had Chael Sonnen, Chael, oh, undefeated. God. Oh my God, Chael, I'm sorry, Connor's great, McGregor is a hysterical talker, I love hearing him talk, he's funny as hell, he's a cocky prick, I love it. Right. But Chael, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God. There has never, if, if anybody's listening is not an MMA fan, go watch Chael Sonnen and you will see a masterclass in personal branding. This guy says he's undefeated still to this day and just type in John Jones versus Chael Sonnen because he's not undefeated. It. Like, it was just not even close. John Jones was at his absolute he, peak. I will never, my, this is my one of my favorite Chael Sonnen moments. It was the, um, the build-up to, I want to say this, second anderson silva fight right because he almost he almost beat silva in, in the first fight like that's when everybody was like oh mm. shit this guy's serious uh but he was at the press conference and 
he I'll never forget it. Somebody asked him about uh something about Anderson and and Dana White, like every time somebody would ask Chael Son a question, Dana White would just shut up. Right? Which he kind of does with Connor because he's just like, this is gonna be fucking amazing. So somebody asked John or somebody asked Chael about about the fight and he just goes listen i don't promote fights i pick fights i'm like john jones i sound like sean combs and i got trombone sized stones like john holmes and, oh, and the man. whole the whole crowd just lost it and i was like i love this guy he's amazing it didn't matter if he got his ass kicked you, you had moments like um when he was doing the ultimate fighter against vonderlay oh that was Von- amazing don't get closer don't get closer Von, I love how Vonderlay just goes up and starts talking to him. And he just he just mumbles something, and, and Chael just goes, "What? What? What'd you say?" And he said to him, "He's like, no, really, I I don't understand what you're trying to say to me. I I, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Oh, I well, love Ch- Chael. and Chael's incredibly articulate. I mean, he could have been. Oh, he is. He could have been an incredible salesperson. He could have been an incredible professional wrestler." anything he chose to do where he had to perform in front of people an actor, anything, he would have been great. He, it, it's so funny, you know, looking back on it, like I said, you do see these, these moments where MMA grows by leaps and bounds of personal branding. Dana White is a fantastic business person. Chuck Liddell is great at business. Rich Franklin was great at, at business. Mm-hmm. Um, but you do have these, these benchmarks, right? You had, like we said, you had Belfort, you had Silva, you had Jones, you had, I don't know if I'd put Jones there. Jones is a good personal brander and then just let it go to complete shit. Yeah. It is. was kind of like a, a sad, like a disaster story. Oh, it, it was, he would have, he would have been the greatest of all time. If he would have just kept his nose clean, quite literally, literally. Yeah. Um, but right. you, you look at Connor. I mean, Connor changed the game forever, forever. Oh, totally. GSP was that sophisticated, you know, high class fighter. Connor comes in and is just like, I'm going to say whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. And I knew when he, when there was like the talks of Floyd Mayweather fighting McGregor, I was like, McGregor's a genius. He's a genius. Total genius. Man. Absolutely. God, I miss those days. And as far I, I had as the to laugh go, As far as the ladies go, I will tip my hat to Ronda Rousey. I think oh, yeah. I think what she did for women's sports in general, period, overall, was just nothing short of amazing. And now she's getting absolutely paid in the WWE. So yeah, you know, good good for her. I was I was at the Royal Rumble when she debuted in a uh, in WWE. That's amazing. How was that? Yeah, I was, was electric. Oh, uh, dude, I listen. I was so I, I never miss a chance to tell about the, that weekend, right? So, I, I my wife. I wanted to go meet Sting. Sting was like my favorite wrestler in in, uh, mm-hmm. in wrestling history growing up. And he was going to be in like some convention, like five hours away. And I was going to get tickets. My wife was like, I'll get them for you for Father's Day. I'll get them for you for Father's Day. I was like, I'm going to meet Sting, right? Grown man. I'm just like, this is hey, going to be great. I, right? I can relate. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. So Father's Day rolls around and I'm thinking she's going to hand me the tickets to go to the convention. And she just hands me a card. I'm like, this is not tickets to a convention to meet my favorite wrestler. But I open the card and she goes, look, before she hands it to me, she says, I couldn't get tickets to the convention. I missed them. I'm sorry. It's my fault. And I was like, it's okay. Like, like you're pregnant with our son. It's, it's okay. Right. Right. In the, in the, in the, like, but underneath I'm like, you son of a bitch, how dare you? Right. 
So I open the card and she writes this long, sweet note about how she can't wait to be a mother with me and have me as a father to our kids. And this is right early in our marriage. My son was our first. I have a daughter now, too, and my teenager. Um, and she said, but since this is going to be this can be your last hurrah before you're, you know, you're on full time dad duty again, uh, you can get tickets to the Royal Rumble. And it was in Philly. And, and she and I read it. And I was like, are you serious? Like, you're going to let me go to the Royal Rumble because my wife hates wrestling, hates wrestling. And she was like, yeah, she's like, don't don't go crazy with the tickets. And I was like, all right, I, I promise you I won't. So I bought tickets in the sixth row. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I texted my boss. I was like, Elizabeth gave me permission to go to the Royal Rumble. She's like, I know she he was like, I know she texted my wife. What do you want to do? I was like, get the best we can buy. He's like, all right. So we, we paid a lot of money for these sixth row tickets. Um, and then we look around and I was like, wait a minute. Let's just make a weekend out of it. Like, like I was director of sales and marketing for him. So he was like, let's just close the company down for the, for that weekend. Oh We're going to go God. down to Philly. Right. So we got a hotel room and this is how big we went. So we got there on Friday afternoon, Friday evening. We were at the house of hardcore show at the ECW arena, which is Tommy dreamers promotion. Saturday morning, we were at the Icons of Wrestling Convention, where I got to meet, and this is how crazy it was. I got to meet Jerry Waller, Jake the Snake Roberts, the King. Victoria, yeah, Rhino, Vader, Scott Hall, uh, Ric Flair, and just as luck would have it, Sting was at the convention. So I Shut did up. get to meet Sting, right? Dude, I, it was incredible. I uh, so I can't believe that. Yeah, oh, it gets even better, even better. So Saturday rolls around. And my brother-in-law, one of his best friends is friends with some, he's a manager for the Orioles and he's good friends with Kevin Dunn, who's the, the big TV guy on WWE. And my brother-in-law says, Hey, I reached out. My buddy said he's, he's leaving tickets for you for the NXT event at will call. And I'm like, Holy shit, this is crazy. Right? So my, my brother-in-law's best friend reached out to Kevin Dunn and left tickets for us at will call to go to NXT takeover. And Adam Cole was wrestling on that show. And I know Adam, he grew up in Lancaster. So we walk up to the, the will call office and I go to take a leak and I come back and my boss is standing there like this. And I was like, what, what, what's going on? What's wrong? He was like, dude, we don't have bad seats. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, we are directly behind the announce table front row. I was like, get the hell out of here. Right? So we go down on the floor. Sure enough, we are directly behind the announce table. The entire event. And every time they would make a, a, a crowd debut of the wrestlers that signed with NXT, they'd bring them right next to us the entire night. So I got to meet like Ricochet, EC3, War Machine, all these other guys. Now, if you go on the WWE Network, you can see my mostly drunk ass the entire event, just like acting like a complete two-year-old. Yeah, the whole night. So sat Sunday morning, we go to Shakara which is an independent promotion. It was a ton of fun. So now we've been through like five events nonstop every day. And it's time for the Royal rumble. By the time we walked into the Wells Fargo center for the rumble, we were just done. I Miserable, bet. exhausted, everything. It was to the point where I'm watching it. I'm like, Oh, we got to see Lesnar. It was the first ever female Royal rumble. So the women put on a clinic and they did such a good job at hiding that Rousey was in Philly. Nobody knew nobody. There wasn't even a rumor 
that she was there. Nobody had any clue. They knew they were in, she was in talks with them, but she was so smart that she did everything. Like she flew in like an hour before the, before her debut. So as the event was going on, she had the sweatshirt on and they snuck her into the airport, everything. Uh, so we, the, the event ends and I'm like, Oh, thank God. Like I'm ready to go home. Like this is, I did too much wrestling this weekend. And then her music hit and the whole arena just exploded, exploded. But you're right. No other female athlete, at least female fighter was able to do that for women's sports. I, I mean, it was, she's, she's amazing. I, I think, uh, you know, you said you met Scott Hall at that convention and, I think that when you go back in history and you look at what, how important Razor Ramon, Scott Hall really was to the sport, like, dude, he, they revitalized Hulk Hogan. Like they brought him back. They brought him back and made Hulk Hogan, you know, main stage again, Kevin Nash. I mean, it really gave a platform for the whole WCW WWF rivalry. And then it, it put triple H Hunter Hearst Helmsley back in there when degenerate like generation X, like that was a, a, a right afterwards. I saw Scott Hall when I was in the airport in Atlanta, we were at a bar and it was coming back from my first equestrian trade show. I'm sitting there and we are all absolutely exhausted. We just did a trade show for four days in the Texas heat in the middle of summer. I know you're familiar with Dallas and we were just drinking the whole fucking time. And I am, I am like probably similar to how you felt when the Royal rumble happened and I'm sitting there and I'm like looking over and I just see some guy with a white ponytail and a toothpick in his mouth. And I'm like, <laughs> like right next to me at a table next to me from me to my computer screen away. And I'm just like, that other guy's really fucking big. I'm like, was he the Russian from the Punisher movie? And I was like, that is Kevin Nash. <laughs> and I just started geeking out like a fucking schoolgirl to my, at that time, purchasing manager who has, who absolutely will say anything to anyone. She's an absolute, like just rock star extrovert. And I'm like, do you see those people? She's like, yeah. I was like, do you recognize them? She goes, no. I was like, I guess you don't have any sons or brothers. She's like, yeah, you're correct. I have a sister and a daughter. And I go, that is Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. She goes, what the fuck does that mean? I said, <laughs> how dare you say that? So basically what happened was she just says, oh, you want to talk to him? Hey, excuse me, my good friends, my friends over here. Hey, hey, you guys. And they're like, oh, yes, how can we help you? This, Ross really wants to meet you. He actually had your action figures growing up. And I just like him sitting there like drunk, sweating, nervous, like smiling. And he did. And then Scott Hall did like the like the wolf pack thing with the toothpick. And then he died like four months later. But amazing guy. Rest in peace. That it's it's so funny. And we'll, we'll tie it back into business after I reminisce about another cool thing. Um, so I. I met Mick Foley at Dutch Wonderland. Shut the shut up. Swear to God, swear to God. he was still he was still active. He was still an active wrestler at the time. Uh, I was I was about eleven or twelve. Oh my! Uh, God. I think, and I was at I was at Dutch Wonderland, and I I didn't know he he walked past behind me, but the kid that was running the I, I, this is how much of a big moment it was for me. Um, if you remember those little like push carts where you sat on them and you could like like wheel them with your feet in this one mm -hmm. little section uh it was right behind that and the kid that was operating was like oh my gosh do you do you know the wrestler mankind i'm like yeah of course and he goes there he is 
And I turn around and there's, there's Mick dressed literally how he dresses today, sweats, flannel, and t-shirt, right? Walking through Dutch Wonderland. And of course there is a crowd of people, right? And he's just, he's being nice. He's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Oh, I'm so bad. he was, yeah. he was left alone and he was sitting there on a bench in Dutch Wonderland. And I came up and he said, I could sit and talk to him. He was amazing. And then he got on the swings with his daughter. It was Noel. Right. Noel was there and, uh, and she was I mean, younger than I was at the time. Um, but that was me meeting Mick Foley. But then my bachelor party to Vegas. And this is, this is cool. This is really cool. So my buddies pick me up at like 5 a.m. from the apartment that I was living in. They take me to BWI. We hop on a plane to St. Louis and then we get a connecting flight there into, Missouri, into Vegas. So I'm, I'm not even thinking about wrestling at this point. Right. So we got to, to Missouri at probably to St. Louis. I don't know, maybe like eight, eight 30 in the morning, just in time for the bars to open. So me and my, my best friends were sitting in the bar, just getting fucking wrecked at like eight 30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I go into the, uh, I don't know, the Hudson news store, whatever the hell it is in every airport. And I'm standing there and this fucking guy walks by me. And the only thing I could think of is that is the, biggest man i have ever seen like i have never seen a man this size he is huge and all i saw was him from the back and i look and i was like fuck i was like man i was like I, i've seen that back before which sounds really weird to say especially as a man to another man uh and i i noticed a tattoo on the tip of his neck and i was like holy shit that's randy orton oh wow so so I was like, oh my God. I was like, that's really Randy Orton. And I, and I was like, I'm going to take a chance because I know like there's Orton is known for not being liked to be approached out in public, especially in oh, airports. Really? Yeah. Like he's, he's been known to be a dickhead to people. Um, so th there's a picture of fans that like have followed him into the bathroom while he was like trying to take a piss and wash his hands. And he's like glaring at him. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Um, I, I, I can. Yeah. But I was like, I was half drunk at eight 30. And I was like, excuse me, Mr. Orton. And he turns around and he goes, yeah, I said, I said, I'm not meaning to bug you before your flight. I said, I'm sure you're just trying to catch a flight. I said, I'm on my way to my bachelor party. I said, I, if I could get a picture, I'd be really, you know, I'd be really thankful. He's like, oh yeah, sure, man. So he gave me, I got to fit my picture with Randy Orton. And let me tell you what, I'm five, eight. I looked like a midget. Like he is a <laughs> giant. You have no comprehension of how big these pro wrestlers are until you're standing right next to him. And Orton is huge. So he takes his picture with me. And we found out we're on the same flight. So he's going to Vegas for a house show. And I'm going to Vegas for my bachelor party. He gets on the flight in front of me, puts his headphones on and he sits down and he was like looking to see if I was going to be, and it was no assigned seats. I think it was like Southwest. So he's looking to see if like my fan ass is going to sit next to him and talk his ear off the whole flight. Right. And as soon as I got on, he looked at me and like was watching where I was going. I was like, all right, dude, like, I'm not, I'll, I'll let you enjoy your flight. I'm not going to push my luck with you. Uh, but that was, that was my moment meeting Randy Orton. And I, I've met so many stars, but back, back to what you said about being, you know, relating this to business. Cause this is, I knew you and I were going to go off on fucking tangent after tangent. Um, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, they really did do what we just talked about, right? They pivoted. They saw an opportunity. They had to do something different. Yeah. They had to shake things up. They had to disrupt things. And they came up with the NWO storyline with Eric Bischoff 
and and stuff like that. And honestly, the rest is history. I, I mean, that is one of the it's the mo- single... one of the most important moments in professional wrestling history. I think. I I think it, I I would also go so far as to say, it, it may have been one of the biggest and most smartest pivots mm-hmm. in in business because that's what pro wrestling is. It's a business. It's, business. it's show business. Yep. And this is stuff that is talked about at length between fans and people in the TV industry and the sports industries as one of the biggest moments in history. And it was all because they needed to do something new. They had to, you know, reinvent the wheel. They knew like pro wrestling follows a very similar formula throughout history, you know, mm-hmm. good versus bad, build up good wins or bad wins. And then you continue the storyline until good wins. But with, with that pivot, with that, storyline nobody expected it nobody saw it coming it literally shook the world it did it did so i I'm um, not, i love it so back to relating that to business i think <laughs> exactly i think one of the things that you and i have in common is we've probably been labeled as th- such things as adhd disruptive um distracting i'm just thinking about all the way back from grade school to now i I think one of the things i'm most proud of staying staying in line with the mma and professional wrestling type uh you know philosophy and approach to business is just one knowing what character i am who i am and two not deviating from that path even in spite of massive perceived risk and three sort of just saying, Hey, take it or leave it. And there's been employers I've had that have said, Oh, you don't want to sacrifice, you know, compromise your character or change who you are to, to fit this mold that I want you to be. No. Okay. Go fuck yourself. See ya. And it's yeah. just one of those things where people could have perceived getting let go or fired or laid off of, hold on, let me count. like four jobs in a row for, and they, I mean, they were professional gigs, like career <laughs> gigs. I was like, shit, am I unhirable? And then it turns out, Oh, I just need to start my own thing. And I've, you know, yeah. after, after hitting that point of just saying, maybe I'm not cut out to be a square peg in a round hole and be forced myself to be a round peg. Maybe it's just who I am it, to, to be my own boss or to be my own, whatever. It, it, when, when you kind of just accept who you are, then everyone else starts to accept who you are. But if you don't accept yeah. who you are, they're not going to, they're not going to take it. And I think for triple H as an example, just to bring that back, you know, he, he had that whole, that whole uh, Connecticut, you know, silver spoon, the blue blood. guy image that the blue from Greenwich blood. Connecticut. Yeah. And then he was like, you know what? I'm just going to be doing this repeatedly and spitting water in the air. And that's when his career really took off. I think I try. I basically did a similar thing where I tried to be like, "Hey, I can fit into this this culture that has nothing to do with my personality." And it kind yeah. of felt. It kind of didn't feel real, but I I wanted I wanted to get along. And I was trying to be nice. Like I am a nice guy, but I was trying I was trying really hard to be nice when I when I didn't want to be. And it kind of felt like, ah, oh, shit. Like mm, I really want to tell this person no or fuck off, but politely no. And then when I just started doing not, it, not then, politely fuck off, just politely. No, fuck yeah. off. You're still fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's, it's one of those you're things right. where it just 
dude, more good things have happened to me since COVID business wise, because I've experienced more scary things. Like shit's just gotten more and more insane, but I've just kind of roll with it. It, it really is. And we'll, we'll get ready to wrap up here, but it's, yeah, you know me, I'm all about authenticity. I was on the battlefield call and I ranted and raved about it. Um, and, and you touched, just touched on it too. Like there's so much more to life and business than fitting the mold. Okay. There, there are people that I don't want to say we're unhirable. Now I, I will say that I've, I think I've made myself unhirable. I think at this point you've made yourself unhirable, but it's not that you're unhirable, so to speak. It's more that just, you need to be doing your own thing. You I need have that, that personality. I don't need, I don't need a, yeah. an authoritative boss. I need business yeah. partners. I don't, no, I don't exactly. need an authoritative boss. I need customers that want my help. Like Absolutely. that's, that's the way I look at it. And I also, you know, from, from running a marketing agency where I had to be in charge of at this point, like $2 million of recurring revenue for somebody else. I had like 10 employees underneath me that I had to effectively do every time block of their day every week, which in my mind, I'm never going to do that as a manager ever again. But I, I learned <laughs> the lessons of what to do and what not to do. And I look at like having a team of people like right now, I think our, our whole company all in got like 80 to 90 employees. And I, I, I help probably lead 40 of them, something like that. And you just treat people with respect. You just like, Hey, here's who we are. Here's what we're about. Thank you so much for taking your time. Your most valuable asset to help our cause and our business and serve our customers. It just showing people respect. It's like that's almost been a lost art in management uh, that I've seen. It has now, some good managers. Some good managers can really do it, but I think showing respect to your team is one of the the make or breaks for leadership. Oh, it absolutely is. It's 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 so interesting how the the world and universe works. I literally recorded a solo episode last night about leadership where I said literally exactly that. Yeah. All right, Ross, what do you what do you want to say to our, our viewers and followers and listeners? Any advice you want to give them for people who are just starting out or thinking of doing their own thing or, or whatever? Go ahead and drop some knowledge. Yeah, you're going to get punched in the face. And there's really no way around it. If you want to do the big life and follow your dream and you know be an entrepreneur, be a salesperson, be anything really other than just what somebody else wants you to be. If you want to be yourself, be prepared to get punched in the face. You don't get into a fight without getting punched in the face. I, I promise you, you're not made out of glass and it's not going to hurt because you're going to have adrenaline and you're going to be able to keep swimming and stick in the fight. Um, and I think the second thing that I want to just tell everyone that's listening is uh, it's, it's way more important to bleed during training than you think. So have people around you that will push you and kick your ass and hold you accountable and call you out and really just make you the best version of yourself because MMA, you might be only one person underneath the spotlight, but that's why you have a whole stable full of other fighters, a whole corner full of coaches and all these fans because they're really the whole team. So it's not just, there's no such thing as a one man show. If you don't have a good people around you, fucking fix it, change them, kick them the fuck out. And, and then you'll just see your performance, your self-esteem, your success really start to take off. And that's all I really got. I love it. I love it. Ross, where can you be found at, brother? So you can find me a couple places uh, on social media. Type in Ross Stockdale on Facebook. Instagram's Ross Stockdale 717. Uh, LinkedIn's kind of weird. It's IR Stock, but just search Ross Stockdale. I'm using the same picture in all of them. Uh, professionalequitygroup.com would be cool. 
You can listen to my shit on the PMG pod. You can also see Kyle Slaymaker on there. I think episode number 20. Very great episode. Check it out. And yeah, otherwise, just find me online. Beautiful. All right, Ross, thanks again for coming out. I'm sure you'll be on this podcast regularly. So enjoy your day, brother. Glad we can make this work even with our last minute time change. See you, bud. Love it, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us this week on Slaying the Sale. If you're interested in knowing more about Kyle, make sure you head over to his website, theslaymakermethod.com, and pick up a copy of his best-selling books. Then head to Facebook to join his private group, Slaymaker Sales Mastery, to become the number one salesperson in your company. And until next time, remember to keep slaying the sale.